You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey, folks, with us today, Colin from Omni. Colin, super happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. First question I always ask, what problem does your company solve for its customers? Yeah, so um, I have a long history in the sort of data and analytics space. Um, I spent, you know, early part of my career in finance and uh, made my way through Google, some startups, and then spent the last eight years at Looker. Um, so I've been a BI practitioner for my whole life, and uh, we are building the next great BI company. So the way I like to explain the sort of problem set for doing data analytics is that you really have this sort of bimodal way that people get at data. You have these very decentralized sort of concepts for how people try to explore data. So Excel is a canonical example where you get a data set, you can move very quickly on your own, and uh, you can sort of draw conclusions independently. You don't need to work about oversight inside a business. Um, the challenge is that when you have tens or thousands of people doing that inside an organization, you get disagreement between all these spreadsheets and different isolated concepts. And so the other side of data analytics is what I call centralized or governed BI. And these are the sort of big enterprise data analytics platforms that you know the biggest companies in the world use, but also smaller companies use when you're trying to create central governance for an organization, so reliability. And the challenge is that there's this extreme tension between both sides of these worlds. Mm. Um, you want to have sort of central, central source of truth and governance and centralization and your data team managing things, and you want to let users move quickly on their own. And frankly, no BI tool has ever done both of those things well. And we're trying to solve that problem. So build a universal uh, sort of analytics product that can be centralized and governed and that the data team loves and that can be decentralized and let users move as quickly as they want on their own without having to wait for the data team to do things for them. Um, so that is the thesis that we are building towards. And then right now, I mean, you're still quite early. You're not even two years in. Who's the typical buyer right now? Is it like the Fortune 5000 already or more like the tech scale-ups? Yeah, I mean, we have a couple larger customers. Um, and the ambition is that every single company in the whole world can use this product eventually. Maybe. Every single company with more than 10 people can use this product in the sort of grand scheme of things. Um, I think as you build a company, so I, I was at Looker for eight years before this. So I've gone through the life cycle from being a small startup that no one has heard of to this big company that got acquired for billions of dollars by Google. And I think the natural life cycle is that you need to kind of slowly prove yourself with larger and larger businesses over time. So our, our wheelhouse customer, the, most of our customers are in the sort of 50 to 200 employee range right now um, with sort of ambition to kind of keep notching that number up by, you know, another zero every single year. Um, so like eventually that becomes the Fortune 5000 and the Fortune 500 and the Fortune 10. Um, but it tends to be sort of younger tech forward companies, um, people that want to work with a company that is 18 months old. Um, and we're going to work on making them successful and then they can tell our story to the next sort of group of customers. Amazing. And then just a bit of backstory. Yep. When you, when you started your entrepreneurial career, you found a primer table, had an exit with that. Yep. Then went to Looker, 
basically up to an exact role. And now that you, it's your second rodeo in terms of like founding a company. Yep. What's the thing you feel like you do most differently compared to the first one? Oh man, everything. Um, so I, it's really funny because the first company that we did, and one of my co-founders here was actually the co-founder of my last company. So Jamie and I built the last one together. We we're actually reversed. He was the CEO last time. Um, and we, we were roommates in college, so we're super close. Um, the last time we started a company and the thesis was we were building something for ourselves. We wanted to start a company. There was no problem that we needed solving. There was no like market insight that absolutely had to be handled. The problem that we were solving was a personal one in that we wanted to go start a company. We were at Google for five years and we just wanted to do the startup thing. Um, and it's very hard to start a company that way. Um, you, you, company building is so hard. There are just so many bad days and so many difficulties that you have to be very, very convicted in what you're doing. And so we built that previous company and it was nominally successful. Again, like we sold it, we built some really interesting stuff. We built a really good team. Um, but there wasn't a problem that I woke up sort of like passionate about solving every single day. We sort of like stumbled into something that we were building for restaurants. It, it worked okay enough. And we sort of tried to grind it out from there. Um, but like candidly, I spent a lot of days where I was just like, why are we doing this? Like, mm. I, I don't really know why we're doing this. Um, and it just, it, it made every difficulty that much harder the first time. And so we ended up selling it. And for 10 years, I literally told people I would never start another company again. I said, I hated it. Uh, like I'm never going to do it again. It was the worst experience ever. Like go join, go find something and then like make, make it into a rocket ship. And at the tail end of Looker, um, you know, like I had two years post acquisition to sort of, uh, where I was stuck with the company and I really needed to, it gave me time to reflect on what I wanted to do and what I thought needed to exist. And I eventually came to sort of these concepts that are the underlying sort of strategy that we have for Omni. And it just felt like the product had to exist. Um, it was like, I, I wanted some of the, the good core centralized things from Looker. But like, I loved writing SQL on my own. And I was like, we can go build something that brings these two things together. Like this product needs to exist. I've talked to so many people about this. And the company almost just happened naturally after that. Because when you have this sort of grain of a thing that needs to exist, like I can go evangelize what Omni is without trying. I don't need to sort of think about the messaging. I'm literally just telling the story of the problems that I've had with data. And it ties directly to sort of what we're building and how we're solving it. And I would say that that is such a superpower with starting a company is sort of you need to create your own sort of reality distortion that your thing needs to exist. And in my opinion, like I, I'm of the mind that I can't sort of trick myself into believing I need to actually believe. And so the, the single biggest thing is I believe in what we're doing right now. Like I passionately care about the problems and the use cases. Um, and, and that is huge. The, the second thing is it's uh, I, there's the cliche, obviously, of like the Mark Zuckerberg 20 year old founder thing. And it's kind of nice to be an old guy for this in that for eight years, I, I was talking to data people at Looker and I probably literally talked to, you know, two to 4,000 different companies about data. It makes it a lot easier to go build a data company when you've got talked to two to 4,000 people. So 
I'm a huge believer in just like verticalized expertise and drawing on your network. Um, like LinkedIn is one of the main places that we post content. And I'm just able to talk to people that I've interacted with over the last decade in data. And it gives this this sort of um, passive like wind in our sails that helps us build the company better. And so I'm not sort of like fighting in trying to convince people that we're important. Like we're known in the ecosystem. And so like it's it's been very different this time. Like I I'm always excited about what we're doing and it is like easier in some sense. Um, but really it's just that, you know, it, we, we believe in what we're doing and we think it needs to exist. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Yeah. And I mean, you raised quite a lot of funding, so you're definitely going after the, the big leagues in terms of what you're playing. Tell us a bit about the fundraising journey, because just looking at your, your Vita basically looks like a, a dream for every CV, yeah, uh, for, I mean, for every VC, I mean. Yeah. So but it, tell, tell us a bit about that. Yeah. I, I mean, just massively fortunate to, to have the relationships that we had with venture going into this. And again, like this is an advantage of just being older and haven't done it before. But I mean, obviously, when we sold Looker, um, you know, we were building that company for 10 years. And a lot of the venture investors, you know, like they want to hold the company forever. And so it was really nice because after I left Looker, I went and talked to a couple of former Looker board members. And this is within a week of leaving. And uh, so Bill at first round and Tomash at Redpoint, we talked to literally within a week of leaving. And they were both sort of of the mind, like, hey, there's still a huge opportunity there. Uh, like, I know you, I trust you. They were both on the board for 10 years at Looker. And so um, we are trying to build a venture scale business. And that aligned with sort of the bet that they wanted to make. And we said, like, hey, uh, we think that we can put a really good team together for this. Building a BI tool is hard. Like you need to you need to go back and spend two years building product before you can really sell it. And so it is difficult, I think, to bootstrap into this market just because it's so crowded. But the flip side of that is that we're entering a space where there's nine companies that have done a billion dollars in revenue. And those are the good characteristics for a venture backed business like yeah. extreme revenue scale, a team that's done it before uh, a an idea in the market that really hasn't been executed on or executed on well. Um, and so we were just able to tell that story. And a bunch of people said like, hey, I want to take this bet. And we said, great, like, we're going to go take this. We're going to go take a really big swing at this. Um, like, we are building a venture scale company. We're, we're burning money right now. Um, we have a big engineering team relative to our revenue. How big, how um, big is your staff right now? How many people work at Omni? It's 31 people. So for, I mean, an 18-month-old company, um, it's fairly large. But 22 of us came from Looker, and five of us came from my co-founder, my third, our third co-founder's company, Stitch. So it's, it's 31 people, and 27 of us have worked together for like five to 10 years um, building BI tools, which is like, we have this sort of powerful background where we could get everyone together and say like, great, like, let's move really, really quickly and start building. Um, and that's sort of the backdrop for how we got here, which has been... You know, it's exciting. There's a lot of pressure, though, too. Like, yeah, you know, we're we're not the bootstrap company that can go like talk to an acquirer anytime. Um, like we're signed up to go IPO later. And it's 
exciting, but it, you know, it, we've played this game before and it means that we have to, you know, keep growing revenue forever. What's the way that you handle that pressure? I, so it's funny because I said pressure, but it's I, I feel like the pressure is actually theoretical for the most part. Um, like I, I took a class in college on stress and stress was sort of summarized as a mismatch of a mismatch of expectations between reality and the individual. Um, and this is like a gross oversimplification. So I don't even know if this is true, but I feel like a lot of stress is this idea that you should be doing something differently or that something that is outside your control um, that you think that you have control over is sort of driving a mismatch there. And I feel like going back to sort of what I was saying about building this, like we have a thesis, we have a team that can go build it, and we, we have the support and sort of financing to go do it. And so the stress would be if sort of any of those things maybe weren't true or I felt like I could control them. Um, but like, honestly, I don't really feel day-to-day -day sort of stress. Like we have such a clear strategy the business that I pitched two days after leaving Looker is the exact same product we have today. And it, it's changed in some ways in that like we've had to refine our point of view, but the core of what we are doing, this sort of idea of decentralized and centralized and being able to make end users successful and technical people successful, these are all the exact same ideas, which is great. Um, it, it makes everything more tactical. So like I am very sad every single time we lose a deal. Like, I want to win every single trial that we have, which is, you know, if you've been in SaaS, it never works that way in an enterprise sales context um, because there's more than one person in the sale. So, you know, two thirds of the people are losing. Um, but I, I think as long as we are being realistic and executing well, like I'm just worried about, is the product getting better? Are we delivering a good customer experience? Um, all of those sorts of things. And I'm not really thinking about, you know, like... IPO at a billion dollars in revenue or something like that later. Cause like it's, it, it's either happening naturally or it's not. What matters is like, do I win this next deal? Do I win the next deal? Is this customer happy? So like, you know, I get stressed if someone fills out an NPS survey and we get a seven um, <laughs> and that shows up as like a detractor. And I, you know, I hate NPS cause sevens are detractors, but you know, those are the ones that hurt. Um, but then, but like, to that point, like, why is that person not a 10? Let's go talk to them. Like, it's, it's, we, it's controllable. So I'm big into like, let's just control the things that we can control. Like, you know, valuations in the public markets are going to affect our valuation in some indirect way. That I, I can't control for. Like, we just have to try to grow revenue and do it rationally and have a, you know, have a real plan. Absolutely. And then, I mean, you're for sure a data-driven person. With 30 people, as you said in the beginning, you're big enough to use BI internally as well. So how are you leveraging Omni to grow Omni? Yeah. I mean, I, I am the BI team also, which is kind of pleasant. Like, uh, it's nice to just use your own product for, you know, hours a day. I think I've got like 10,000 minutes in the product or something crazy. Um, I mean, there's sort of two versions of it, which is like we're using Omni in... We're, we're overusing Omni in some ways to just exercise the platform over and over again. And I do think like the single most powerful thing that you can do when you are building software is just use your software over and over again. Like in as real use cases as you can. Like you can never fake using the product as well as just actually trying to do a thing. 
like you try to make a graph in a BI tool and then you realize that like you don't really care what the graph looks like. But as soon as you need to actually go make a board slide or something like that, you're like, why can't I move this label? Like then you are actually, (laughs) you know, touching the product in a real way. I mean, the other thing is we have really orchestrated our business in a really significant way just to watch what our customers are doing. So we spend a lot of time just making sure our customers are using the product um, and trying to understand how they're using the product and things like that. Um, So one of our sales engineers, she wrote a blog post about how we developed customer health, um, which is like one of my obsessions with uh, sort of monitoring the business. So for every single customer, we are looking at how well they're using the kind of five or six most important features in the platform, whether they're growing, whether they're inviting users in. And we're looking at that. I look at it every single day. Like it comes into my inbox and I'm looking at usage growth and users and things like that. So we're just paying a lot of attention. Um, and it, it means that we can sort of pay a lot of attention to how people are using the product. I think the thing that we are not doing with data is um, sort of product management by A-B test. Um, and I, I say that um, not completely dismissively because like if you're an e-commerce business at scale, that's how you do conversion rate optimization. Like if, if you have a marketplace that has booking.com scale, you have to be doing product yep. management via A-B testing. Um, but as a young company, like I, I kind of take pride in saying we, we don't listen to our customers in product development. And we say that facetiously. It's just we don't want people telling us what to build. We want people telling us what the problems are that exist. And then we want to trust our own taste in what good product is. So like the single biggest thing that we've been working on lately has been this Excel style dialect. And kind of amusingly, no customer ever asked for it. Um, like table calculations was not something that people were sort of banging down the doors for or anything like that. But it was always this pain that I personally had in the product at Looker and before, which is like, why aren't BI tools building an exact syntactic um, sort of parallel to Excel? So why can't I click on a column and then click on another column and then put a plus in between them? And that's actually what we've built out. And what's been nice is just that we we saw these problems, which is like, I want to do this thing really easily, or I want to make a graph that is like this really slight diff from this table. And then we got to go, you know, figure out the actual solution for it. And I feel like that's where really great product comes from is just like deeply understanding the problems. So definitely like a manage by numbers on pipeline activity and sort of like usage and things like that. But on like the product management side, um, it is much more naive. It's like, we're just trying to build good stuff and, you know, not do too much of the numbers. I think that's super important skill to know where do numbers and hard metrics make sense and where is intuition, intuition is maybe the wrong word, but being just like seeing what people need, see having like hundreds of conversations that ends up being intuition, even though it's just data Throwing through your own body, basically. No, that's exactly right. It's like, it's verbal data. It's just that, like, I don't need to put it into a spreadsheet to make it data. Um, And like, people will tell us if the thing is good or bad. That's data. Like, NPS scores are sort of data. But like, you don't need to do an NPS survey to know what your NPS is. Like, you can go talk to your customers also. Um, And so I I think you got to make sure that you're not getting too frozen up by analytics. I, I think the other sort of data mistake that people make is that people assume that using data means like doing regression or doing analysis or data science. And I'd argue a lot of data 
is literally just being able to pull out a row of data as easily as possible, which I know sounds really silly, but just being able to look up like, who is that customer? How much are they paying us? When is their renewal date? Who is the owner on the account? I, and I know these are things that maybe you could go look up in Salesforce or Zendesk or some sort of product, you know, in-app usage thing. Um, but oftentimes that's not considered like data analysis when operationally those things are the things that might take you 30 minutes that could take you 15 seconds that give the business a lot of leverage. And I think those are some of the most important sort of like data things that we do that aren't really data. They're, they're much closer to just ops. Um, that every business should be doing better. And it's all actually data readiness. So it's less about being fancy with data and analyzing it too much, but more having it readily available. So if you need it between a meeting, you can just look at it. That's exactly it. right. Like I'm going to talk to this customer today. Are they using the product right now? Like, great. Uh, like, let me see some notes on when we sold them the product. Like, has anything changed recently? You know, do they have any support tickets recently? These are, I don't know, I, they're not really data when it comes down to it. They're just yeah. like record lookup. But it, it, if it's hard, you won't do it. And if it's easy, you do it naturally. And I think those are the things that become really, really interesting. Yep. Friction, as always, a very interesting yep. way to move people away or towards things, increase or decrease friction. Yep. Then, the last thing, that's a very fuzzy question, but in terms of big vision, you mentioned it, like you drew it so clearly. So how, how do you, if you bring on someone new, how do you make sure that all of that knowledge and wisdom that the other teammates have get shared with their new person? Because I think it's amazing that you have so much just knowledge and like deep experience in the team. Yep. But I could imagine if someone joins, let it be like a salesperson, someone outside of the field, that it must be like a, a weird cultural thing that is like the in-group and potentially the out-group. So how do you manage that? It's a very, very good question. And honestly, like that is probably the single biggest risk for our company in the next sort of stage of our life. Again, like 22 lookers out of 31 people means that we have 22 people that have, you know, eight years of previous context and then nine that don't. Um, so I, the first thing is, I think we're terrible at it. Um, like the thing about getting to hire 20 people that you worked with is that like we've gotten to be in some ways lazy about what we write down and sort of how we track these things. So we're trying to get better at it. Um, I think the other thing is it's been really interesting just the sort of new way that sort of software, SaaS software is installed inside businesses is that like we we had a new sales rep and she just joined from Snowflake. Um, and our other three sales reps are all former lookers. And she spent a lot of time just watching videos of our demo calls and things like that. But not, not like two hours of it, like 25 hours of it. And in some ways, that kind of stuff is magical because it gives you like passive context. Like you get real conversations. It's like you were in those meetings as well. And things like that have been just amazing for letting people ramp. So like videotaping internal meetings and things like that. Um, I mean, I think this is, those are the problems that arise as you start to scale is sort of like, how do you make it so that every employee has all the context of the previous employees? Um, 
like my inclination is try to spend a lot of time with people as well. So just a lot of one on one time, which obviously doesn't scale. Um, we're going to have to solve it is sort of the rambling answer is I yeah. think that we need to get a lot better at it and it's hard. Um, part of it is just like repetition and saying stuff over and over again. Like I've probably done 500 demos at this point of Omni and my talk track is like robotic at this point. I can just like go through a deck <laughs> so easily. And at some point it's just like, if you say the same things over and over again about centralized and decentralized and it's, I mean, what's kind of amazing is this new person actually came in and she started redoing some of our sales material in like the way that she understood it. And in some ways it actually got better because it's sort of like taking our understanding and combining it with someone who doesn't have our context. Um, and she sort of talks about it as like the, I don't know looker version of explaining your, your vision. Um, and so in some ways it's like, it, it's this sort of melding of everyone that comes in that happens naturally but I, you have to write stuff down and try to be clear about it. Like one thing that we were terrible about early was we would talk about all these lookerisms internally and the non-looker people would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so just like catching yourself when you're doing things like that, it's, it's kind of similar to any sort of bias that you have when you're talking. You, you just need to be conscious of it. Um, but we need to get better at sort of scaling knowledge. I love that. And then... Final thing before we wrap up, where can people find you online? Uh, Omni.co. Uh, we managed to get a very good URL. Um, we're in a crowded namespace. Uh, this is part of our, like, either Omni is going to be a big deal and we'll be the Omni or we won't matter. Uh, so we managed to get Omni.co. But, uh, you know, fill out a form, send me an email, Colin at Omni.co. Uh, like, we will get in touch with you if you need data things. And we're all rooting for you that it will be the Omni. I, that's still the plan, you know? I, I, it, again, though, going back to the earlier part of the conversation, at some point with the venture business, like either you're the Omni or you don't matter. So it, it just, it aligned with our thesis, which is just like, we're going to try to be the universal platform for data. And then Omni makes a lot of sense. And so we might yep. as well be Omni. Sometimes binaries can be way more fun than a thing in the gray exactly it, i mean it gives you it gives you no embedded release valve which you know sometimes you want to be able to pull the rip cord but not being able to you know like it it means that you actually have to focus and go on and, and sort of push through um and I, I actually i think that was one of the mistakes that we made the first time is we were just we were ready to sell the company i think we sold it after like 14 months or something like that um and this one is like I've already told my wife, this is my last job. So it's, it's either going well or it's not, but I am 100% focused on making it work. So a different kind of conviction and commitment. Yeah. Amazing. Colin, thanks a ton for coming on. Let's wrap. Yeah, this is great. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node. With actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry, delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.